Three times a week, The Right Time with Bomani Jones podcast brings you the latest from technology, music, and the very best analysis of the games. Plus, there's a robust community of friends, including Dominique Foxworth for Foxworth Fridays. That's The Right Time with Bomani Jones on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and on ESPN's YouTube channel. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. Hi, I'm Ali Love, and my dilemma is hot chocolate. (laughs) What about it? Well, I love it and it hates me. So it's one of those things that it brings me back to my childhood and I'm lactose intolerant. And while I know you're going to say, yeah, Allie, there are many of other types of milk, nut milks you can make it with. It's not the same. And so since I'm lactose intolerant, I want to have hot chocolate because it's nostalgic. It brings me back to, even though I'm from Miami, a hot place, but just being, bringing back to that, you know, Christmas time, holiday time where you're with your family, you're young, you know, you have a lot of gifts. There's a lot of magic in the air. There's no paying bills or going to work at that time. And you're having like hot chocolate with your family and it feels so good. Okay, I am a hot chocolate queen, year round hot chocolate enthusiast that has experimented with many recipes and many kinds, cinnamon, caramel, Mexican, peppermint. It has been my go-to when I have a sweet tooth for years. I literally used to roast marshmallows over the stove in college on a stick. Um, I just love hot chocolate. It's rich, it's delicious, but it's also filling. You can enjoy it for a while, unlike you know a square of chocolate or two. So here's my tip for you, my lactose intolerant friend. Oatly oat milk, the original. I don't like a lot of other oat milks. I don't like some almond milks. I don't like most soy milks. A lot of them have a weird flavor to me. Oatly oat milk, original. Has the flavor most like just normal skim milk to me, but has the richness you need because hot chocolate with water isn't the same. We all know that. So here's the secret. Oatly, a little bit of water, a Swiss Miss packet, and this is very important. Add a scoop of Sur La Tabla Mexican Spice Hot Chocolate by Valrona, V-A-L-R-H-O-N-A, okay? This is very important. I've tried so many different kinds of hot chocolate. None of them is better than Sur La Tabla Mexican Spice Hot Chocolate by Valrona. You mix it with the Swiss Miss so it's got a little spice, a little kick, a little cayenne, a little magic to it, but not too much. You're welcome. Your hot chocolate game just got 100% better and 100% lactose-free. That's what she said. Hey, everybody. I just got back from an amazing uh, 10, 11 days in Arizona. I did a little work, but I mostly hiked and spent time in the sun, hung out with my friends, went to an incredible music festival, and spent a bunch of time hanging out with my husband's big crew for the annual Heckler spring training trip. Uh, But it was the Heckler spring break this year. Uh, We didn't get to see any big league baseball. We got to do a whole bunch of different stuff instead. Exploring the Phoenix area, had a ton of fun, hence the uh, the party voice. Three straight weeks, uh, really killer Spain. It's not like I talk for a living or anything. Uh, honestly, between the, uh, the Achilles tear as an athlete and the nodes on my vocal cords as a radio and podcast host, I feel like my ailments are a little too on the nose, to be quite honest. Uh, anyway, I do feel somehow both rested and totally burnt out. Um, Going to have to get back to my Grand Canyon prep. Going to read all the emails I ignored. Uh, but one thing I did not ignore 
while I was on vacation was this podcast. I actually interviewed this week's guest from my Airbnb out in Arizona because I was so excited to have her on. I just wanted to make sure it happened. Uh, she is responsible for a lot of sweat, a lot of laughs, sore legs, some tight booties. Uh, she is not only the CEO founder of Love Squad, the in-arena host for the Brooklyn Nets, and Adidas global ambassador. She is also my favorite Peloton instructor, Allie Love. We talk about all sorts of things from her going door-to-door asking for baloney, a quote-unquote life quake moment that changed her perspective at a young age, her current obsession with Dua Lipa and a shout-out from Dua Lipa, uh, the honor that she felt in bringing people together during the shutdown via the Peloton classes she did from home, her work in the sports world, and more. You guys are going to love her her unique journey, her work ethic, her perspective. Uh, You're going to love this. That's what she said. I am so excited to talk to this week's guest, and I feel like uh, my energy level already went up. That's usually what she's able to do. You just look at her, and all of a sudden, your legs start moving uh, independently of your brain. You're like, oh, okay, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Um, She is taking over the fitness world. Uh, She has been in the sports world for a long time, even trying to steal my job at ESPN during the ESPYs. Uh, I'm so excited to learn more about where she came from and how she ended up this, this not overnight, uh, a lot of work went into it, but man, did Peloton become the thing. And I'm, I'm fascinated to hear how her life has changed. So Allie love, so excited to chat. I want to go all the way back to the beginning and start in Miami and find out what kind of kid you were and, and whether it was always all about dance and sports. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, yes, I love that you said um, quite a few times. We're going to talk about <laughs> yeah. that. Yep. It <laughs> happens to us all. <laughs> You're going to hear me say it a lot. Uh, however, yes, I'm from Miami and getting back to kind of like being a kid in Miami. I definitely was before. So at the age of nine, I got hit by a car. And I would say up until nine years old, I was uh, not your favorite character, not your favorite little girl. I was someone who would leave the house. Once I turned about three to four years old, I would let myself out of the house while my mom was cleaning and I'd go knock on neighbor's door. I'm not, okay, public service announcement, do not do this. If any kids are listening, please don't do this. But I would literally get out of the, uh, open the door and we lived in an apartment complex at the time and I'd go knock on neighbor's door. I don't know these neighbors by any means. And I would ask them for candy, apples (laughs) or bologna. I don't know. And when it came to candy, it was specifically candy corn. I would say, like, think of this three to four year old girl, like candy corn, apple, banana, like asking. <laughs> my mom would have to like come out and find me. And she said, she used to always tell me as a little girl, I would leave the house like, as much as I could. She had to keep a close eye on me. Uh, so I would say before the age of nine, I was, I was a handful. I was, I was as much energy as I am now, but without much awareness. Yeah. By the time I got hit by a car of nine years old, it kind of uh, shifted my life. It was one of those life quakes that happened where I became a little bit more focused, determined, and not so much serious, but more, uh, I would say, adamant about living my life to the fullest and having fun and finding joy and making the most out of it and knowing that I could do so much more with, with what the, the time that I had left. Yeah. So tell me about the accident. So it actually occurred when um, one weekend, my family is a huge family. My mom is one of 10 and at least the majority, I would say. Oof. Eight of her, yeah, eight of her sisters and brothers live in Miami, and they have kids. And I'm actually the youngest of the cousins, and so we often get together. Still to this day, I don't live there right now, but still to this day, my family gets together on the weekends, and you know, you play cards, and the kids play with each other in terms of kickball and volleyball, all the things you can imagine. And so it was one of the quote unquote normal days in the Love family um, on a Saturday. 
and you hear the magical noise that has every kid's like ears perk up mm-hmm. and like mouth salivating it's the ice cream truck right so you, i was it's in miami it's either the ice cream truck or a filador uh because oh. as i've as i've learned there are knife sharpening trucks that also drive around miami and make that noise <laughs> which is a very specifically florida thing Psst. hey everybody remember this word a filador for later but i'm assuming a, it was kids they were into the ice cream yeah it was the good stuff yes, yes. it was ice cream <laughs> and so i went to the ice cream truck and as I was coming from the ice cream truck, you know, you teach your kids to look both ways. I did exactly how my mother taught me. And it, the ice cream truck was literally across the street from my aunt's house. So it wasn't far at all. Uh, and a few of us had went. And so I, I was the one crossing the street at the time. I looked both ways and it just had to be, it was due to timing. The car was parked behind the ice cream truck. And simultaneously, as I'm walking across after the road is clear, the car swerved out, hit me. I flew up in the air, landed mm. on the hood of the car, rode off to the side, broke my teeth, broke my hip scarred up my body. I was in the hospital for seven days. By the fifth day, the doctor told my mom it wasn't looking good. I potentially needed a drip blood transfusion. But even with that, it was just, I was too weak and so small um, for so much trauma. And it was basically at this point, my mom came in after speaking to the doctor, you know, this was after numerous of conversations. And she was, she let me know. She said it wasn't looking good and that I had to make a decision. And I either could like go on Obviously, her and my father had spoken, and this was an easy decision. She knew I was in so much pain because I was in traction. Mm. So keep in mind, during this time, people, uh, young kids don't break their hips often, so mm. they didn't have the tools. Like There were no pins that could fit a little girl my size. They, could, they were only for elderly folks. So they had to get it made in China and then shipped over. And so it was. it's around this time where I was in traction, and, and I was still in so much pain, and she was just saying, like, if you want to go on and like stop fighting, you can, but if you want to fight, you have to fight. We can't do it for you. You have to fight and pray for your life. And that's exactly what I did. I decided to fight and pray for my life. And I often say in that moment, up until this moment, that every moment that I am alive, I will continue to do both those things, fight and pray for my life. Wow. That's, that's such a heavy thing at such a young age and for your family too. Um, and it is such an interesting thing. Most people do not have that perspective about finding joy and appreciating what you have and living life to the fullest until much later in life when there's a, a diagnosis or the, the loss of someone they love or just more perspective about um about death which comes much later um so it's interesting that you had that at so young um you know you were you were um also told that you might not walk again so mm-hmm. as a as a kid who obviously was into sports and 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 dance and was active um was there a defiance when you started to get back on your feet of proving them wrong? Is that any part of your origin story as someone who uses their body for a living? Or do you think that would have been an inevitability regardless? Well, you know, honestly, I don't know if those are mutually exclusive in the sense of, um, I do think my life was predestined. That's how I, I believe. I think our fate is already, it's up to us to kind of like go ahead and put piece it together. Um, but in terms of, da- I wasn't necessarily trying to, defy the diagnosis of the doctors. I just remember knowing that I wanted more in my life, even as a little kid, like I wanted to play. I w- we have this big four-year window in our house. My family still lives in my childhood house and you can look outside and see you know, the neighborhood. And I would see all the kids in my neighborhood having a good time and I'm in a hospital bed and you know that was now made into the room of the living room or the den. And I'm watching all these kids have such just fulfilling lives. And I was you know, a bit jealous. And what ended up happening was my mother, my mom's best friend, who also was just like a really, and still is an integral part of my life, 
she let my mom know about a dance class. She was like, there's a summer program. Maybe we'd get Allie in with some kids. She hasn't been around kids because I was homeschooled for a year. And this was the entire year. This happened right before school was going in, right? So I was like, okay, I would love to be around kids. And my mom's like, I don't know. This might be, a, you know, long story short, basically I go into this like day summer program and they offer dance and it's like this informal dance. And at the end you get to perform. So you've been in this mm -hmm. program for like two months and you get to perform. And at this point I've been doing physical therapy twice a week and all the things that I was supposed to do. So I got to perform, you know, again, like 10 years old mm -hmm. doing little dances. And I remember doing this performance and what really set it off wasn't that I fell in love with dance right away or that I knew I wanted to be a dancer or I was going to defy the doctors. It was actually, I had a great teacher. You know, you meet some angels in your life and we did this performance. I think I performed average at best, to be honest. Um, I danced my little heart out. And at the end, my teacher told my mom, she was like, your daughter has a real gift. You should really explore this with her. She is really good at dance. And my mom's like, not my daughter. She has no rhythm. Like, how do you, you know, just making a joke. She, you know. Yeah. And so it was one of those things where someone said to me what I was good at. You know, you, someone saw you and said, yeah. you know what you'd be good at, Sarah? You'd be good at this. Yeah. That's what they did to me. You, you know what you'd be good at, Allie? You'd be good at this. And that's exactly what we decided to do. You know, I was like, mom, I kind of like this. If she says I'm good at it and we, we trust her, let's go ahead and do more of it. And so that's, that's kind of how I fell in love with dance. And then I started to really know what movement could do for your body in terms of communication, in terms of releasing a lot of emotions and frustration. And obviously there are health benefits on the other side of that, but it's right. because I thoroughly enjoyed it. That's really cool. And it is so true how important those moments can be as a kid when somebody sees something and 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 you become, you know, more invested and more passionate. And I mean, you were passionate enough about it that it was one of your um one of your majors at Fordham, dance and theology, which is an interesting combo. What was the end yeah. goal there? Well, this also stems, I mean, everything stems for the, the little girl in me. Um, my grandfather was a pastor, and so we went to church every Sunday. And then my mom had her own church and we would go to church every Sunday. My sister sang in the choir. And so it was just a really big, and once I got hit by a car, honestly, you know, the, the fact that I felt like I had to pray to, that, that God saved my life, there was nothing about, and there still isn't anything about that experience that can detour my faith and um, shake the fact that I know that there is a, there is God. And that's a personal, that's a personal position. And right. it's for me and my family. And so in those moments, I mean, when I tell you, I don't know again how many of you dealt with life quakes, whether, like you said, trauma, losing someone, the birth, losing a job, getting a new, all those things are life quakes. And they usually happen between the age of 30 and 60, but it happened to me at nine years old. And so shortly after that, when I would go to church, I would literally like praise and worship. I'll be clapping my hands, <laughs> singing to God, like, thank you so much. Like, I just know what it feels like to just almost die. Like, it was yeah. in one second, I was fine. And then a split second later, I was, my, I, could not move my body. I had, I had lost all of, of, of control, right? I was immobile and it happened so quickly. And so it was through this curiosity of why do I believe what I believe? Why do we as a family believe what we believe? Why do people say there are different types of gods? Why are there different, different religions? And it wasn't so much to prove, well, our religion is the right religion and you're wrong. It was more of this curiosity of how are we all trying to like going for the same things and want to be the best and live good lives, but where does this all intersect and how can I be understanding? How can I have conversations about the things that matter to me while being inclusive? And I knew this was important because I always wanted to feel, I always wanted to feel like I was invited yeah. to any area or any space. And so when I got to school, that was the agreement. My mom said, you know, you have to go to university. I was the first person in my mom and my family. Again, we're really big. I have a lot of cousins. 
but it's a privilege. I was the first person in my family to graduate college out of like 200 cousins. Like that's a lot of people. And so she was like, you, the agreement is you can continue to pursue dance and move to New York, but you just got to get, you got to go to university and you have to get a degree. And that was exactly what I did. So when it was time to declare my minor, I didn't necessarily go in like, I'm going to study religion. I ended up going to a Jesuit university, which was Fordham University. And again, call it fate, but none of this was an adamant decision. I did not literally sit down and say, I'm going to do this and do this. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like 17 years old <laughs> trying to live my best life. But it was the dance. I you know, got a full scholarship. I was dancing at the Alvin Ailey School. It was New York City. So when it came time to declare our major, I went in, I was undeclared for two years. And then by your junior year, before you got to declare, you got to let the world know what you're doing. Right. And um, I looked at the courses that I'd taken. I fell in love with, you know, art history. I fell in love with psychology. I was taking prerequisite. We had to take a theology course. I fell in love with theology and the conversation and debate. And so it was either psychology and or theology. And so I ended up just kind of going down a path of, of where I was most curious and it was theology. And I had some really fantastic instructors. And I will say, Sarah, the best thing that came out of that is to learn how to not argue, but debate and respect someone else's belief about Mm -hmm. something that most people are so dogmatic about when it comes to religion. So it provided perspective, discipline, and the ability to listen to other folks. Yeah, that's so big because it is. I mean, I I think obviously religion is one of the top categories when it comes to, you know, really not being able to move someone off their position regardless of, because so much of it is just a deeply rooted faith in in what you believe, even if facts that someone else thinks prove them right. Um, And so those conversations are incredibly important and obviously open you up to being able to bring that approach to other things that might not be quite as um, strongly held. And I think it's fascinating that, um, that that was a pair for you too. I wonder, like, what did you, what did you think you wanted to do? What, like when you imagined what you would do in life after college, was it mostly about dance? Did you ever think about going into um, working in the church? No, mm-hmm. um, no offense to those people that work in churches. It, again, while, this is and this is what where it can get a little interesting is that many of us subscribe to inclusivity, want things to be equitable, and subscribe to diversity. And when we think of those things, and not all, but many folks, when they think of those things, they think they show up in the workspace and they think they show up in more controlled spaces, right? In more controlled areas of community. The reality is most of those things are nuanced and they don't just have to do with your race and your culture. It does have to do with your faith. And so we can always agree to disagree because our differences make us unique, but our will to be better brings us together. And that's something I often tell myself. And so while there's nothing wrong with going in the church, I wasn't going in that direction. I needed to understand something that happened to me as a child and why my family believed so much and how does the world operate within that and how can I continue to be inclusive? How can I continue to have these types of conversations and show up? And so I knew that I wanted to, I fell in love with dance. I knew I wanted to be a dancer. That's why I went to college. The, and I wanted, my minor was more of like, what's interesting to me right. and what's going to keep me captivated in these classes because that full day is, right? You right. want to do something you enjoy. And so so did you want to be like a ballet dancer, a modern dancer, a dancer on a music tour? So I wanted to be all those things and more. <laughs> so you go to university and I actually had the, I was afforded the opportunity. My junior year, I ended up taking um, more of um an indirect path because a lot of my classes were abbreviated because I got an internship as an apprentice in a company. And so I danced in Canada, in San Francisco, and then in New York. And in New York, I got an apprenticeship. So for my junior and senior year, I had an abbreviated schedule. So I wasn't necessarily taking courses 
in class, you know, dance course classes, I was actually in the studio with professional dancers. And it was during that time where I was a, a, a contemporary ballet dancer. So it was during that time that I found out a few things. This may be shocking news to you, but the reality is dancers are underappreciated and underpaid. And there was no way that I was going to make a living in New York City mm -hmm. and be able to afford to live in New York City while dancing uh, because I didn't come from a place where we had a lot of resources and I had to figure it out. And so sincerely, when I started to pursue this and started to find out this information, I started to kind of pivot in, in my senior year. What, what else is out there and who's making money? There's money out there and who's making it. And I recognize, you know, modeling, models make a lot of money. I was like, as a dancer, I could be a model. So I, that's what I started doing. I started looking at other opportunities. How can I be on commercials? How can I model? How can I still quote unquote gig? So I transitioned from contemporary ballet, working with companies, which I had, a again, early on exposure. I got to perform as well and tour a little bit while in school. And then I came out right before graduation and I started dancing. I danced with Beyonce, auditioned dance with Pitbull, Wyclef. And I was touring a little bit with them, started uh, dancing for the Knicks. And I got signed right before, I guess, my senior year to Wilhelmina Models. I went in for a meeting and they signed me on the spot, which was, again, I was very privileged for that experience. And that's where I made my money. It yeah. was through modeling and I was able to stack my paper and was like, okay, I can live in New York. I can keep dancing <laughs> right. and I can figure this out. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's get to the Knicks. So uh, you're doing you're doing dance, you're doing modeling. Um, obviously, the Knicks City dancers are like a huge thing. This is not cheerleading. This is like elevated above, um, you know, even dancers and other NBA franchises. It's just a totally different world. So is that a part of the dance world instead of the sports world? Or did you have an active interest in bringing your talents and, and what you did into sports? So um, it was interesting. I will tell you, it's not necessarily it's not necessarily the same, but it's not necessarily different. Right. And here's how I can express it. I auditioned to be a Nick City dancer, and it was because a friend of mine said, "This is a job. You'd love it. You get to continue to perform Madison Square Garden, most world's most famous arena, twenty thousand fans. You get to still do what you love, and you get to model and kind of figure out what those next steps. You know, young girl in New York City, a bit of a, a different path in a vertical career." And so I auditioned, it was 500 girls, and I got on a team of about 20 girls, and I made it, which, again, I, was re I, I worked really hard. It was like a four-day audition, and it was intense. There's nothing shy of what the dancers in the NBA do. Like, even now, as a host of the Brooklyn Nets, like, these I could not, I'm, I mean, it's incredible, even looking at that I was able to do this at one point in my life. But I remember when I got the job and I started dancing for the Knicks, I got a phone call. And the phone call was actually from my dance history teacher from college. God bless her soul. She, was, she meant well. But she called me and she was like, 
why did you decide to go dance for the Knicks? Of all the things you could do, all the places you can dance, of all the training you've taken, that's where you wanted to go? And it was almost of like, she was doing it out of concern yeah. to say like, you know, there are more opportunities out there. You know, you have like a skill set. But what I did, and again, coming from a good place, but what that did was when you asked me about sometimes the nose motivating me, mm-hmm. that motivated me <laughs> not to prove her wrong, but to prove that, that misconception that dancers are one dimensional. Concert dancers only do concert dance. Commercial right. dancers only do. Co- and it's like, no, no, no. I'm redefining what it means to, when we talk about faith, I'm redefining what that looks like, right? You know, coming in with my Afro, I'm redefining what that looks like as a dancer coming from, yes, being classically trained. The girls on my team were all, I mean, were incredible. They were all classically tra- trained. They were out there, you know, getting, following their dreams, pursuing it. And it ain't easy. Dancing right. two, two minute routines, coming up in the intros and then, you know, have to be all game. You get there at three o'clock on a, on a game day. And to be honest, again, you're not paid a lot of money. Right. I mean, it's really underpaid in the sense of every dancer has to have another job. Yeah. So not only are you doing 41 home games for like 200 bucks a game, you are also doing it full-time. Some girls have full-time jobs as consultants, as lawyers, but right. you love dance so much. And so um, I will say, like I said, they're not the same, but they're not different in that everybody, you know, they, they love the thing they love, but it's, it's a, uh, it, it could be, there's a transition that could occur if necessary or if wanted. Right. So dance makes sense. It brings you to the Knicks. It's all the same world. But then you end up with the Nets as the in-arena host, and you've been doing that since 2012, which is a long-ass time. So how did that happen? And was there this affinity to, to basketball and the NBA because of the Knicks gig? You know, how does that happen? So I have to throw it back uh, in my story of Miami. I actually was a Miami Heat junior jammer. So that's when, so remember I got hit by a car, I fell in love with dance. Um, about a year after, you know, we had that conversation with the dance teacher that summer, I auditioned to become a Heat Junior Jammer. And it was like 500 kids. That's all they let. They always let 500 people in. So it was like 500 kids and we're auditioning and I got on the team. And so I danced for two seasons as a Heat Junior Jammer. And the main reason I did that was obviously I love dance, but my mom used to play basketball in college. And so we always watched the Heat growing up. My dad, football, Monday night football, and then my mom, anytime there's basketball on. And so in order to get us like free tickets, I would, you know, it, it was like a perk. I could dance, I could do mm-hmm. what I love and train and, you know, whatever. And then we get free tickets. Granted, they were nosebleeds, but hey, we take yeah. what we get. And so during that time growing up, I not only was a huge junior jammer, but I was also a ball girl for what was called the US Open. I mean, sorry, called the um, Ericsson Open at the time, but now it's the Miami Open for tennis. I was a ball girl. So, and, and you get free tickets to that. And so it was kind of, it wasn't out of my DNA to continue in the NBA. I felt comfortable. I knew the NBA. I knew how games work. But I love basketball growing up. We went to plenty of basketball games. I danced, again, forwarded to dance at some. And so when it came to the time to decide to leave the Knicks, I wanted to do something more. I've been modeling. I was I was also uh, doing bottle service in a club at the time, too, because, you know, you get cash. And it was yeah. very popular. And so at night, I'm, and I'm doing bottle service in the club. In the daytimes, I'm at the games. And then in the morning times, I'm going on castings or I'm on photo shoots. And I, this is like the epitome of what it means to boss up. That's so New York. That's like, <laughs> I mean, so- honestly, it feels very like Coyote Ugly, to be honest. It's yes. like, here's the thing I really dream of. But at night, I'm going to go hustle and, you know, dance on the bar and do whatever. It's very, it's very like right out of a movie of early 20s New York. Exactly. I put my uh, cowboy boots on and I made it happen. That's right. <laughs> my day- <laughs> Um, no, but it was really in that time that I decided I kind of want something more. I've been dancing for the Knicks and I, it was time for me to pivot and shift. And I knew that I always 
obviously can talk a lot. And I knew that I was very curious around people. Hence the differences in all of us having conversations. And so I decided to take a course. I always take courses, even to this day, took a course in a commercial, like how to get on commercials and being comfortable in front of the camera. And then the same instructor or teachers had a hosting class at the same time. So I'm like, let me double up, you know, let me get more bang for my buck. First hosting class was like an hour long. And we're in there and we're teaching and you get up there in front of the class, the cameras, and then the teacher's like, do this and sit. And I do it. And I'm, after the class, I'm like, I think I figured it out. It was my, it was like my aha moment. I was like, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm meant to do. I love camera work. I love performing. I love conversation. And I want to do this. This is, I want to build content that really is that's thought provoking and entertaining. Yeah. And so it was one of those things where as I'm taking this course, I'm transitioning. I decided, you know, my last game, I let everyone know at the last game of the season, I'm not going to return. And I spent three months, I stopped everything. I stopped literally doing all the things that I was doing. I took a break from modeling for the time and I spent three months at home and I read books of any person, Oprah, Ryan Seacrest, Padma Lashmi, like all the people that were doing, she was a model turned host. Mm-hmm. Ryan Seacrest was like a DJ turned like everything. He's producing, yeah. he's doing all the stuff. He's actually creating the content we love. And then you have Oprah, who's like literally Oprah. Yeah. So I read all the autobiographies. I'm researching. And I was like, you know what? I need somebody's done it before. Let me figure it out. And I sent an email to everyone I knew in my Gmail. And I was like, I will host your kids' birthday parties. I will do your charity events all for free. I just need experience. Nice. Actually, during this offering my services, that the Brooklyn Nets reached out to me. And this was their first season 2012 in Brooklyn. And um, I literally left. April was my last game at the Knicks. By December of 2012, in the middle, like kind of like into their season, I had my first game. They, they, I didn't audition. They offered me the job. I went from speaking to you, you and I, Sarah, one-on-one, to speaking to 18,000 fans for 41 home games, playoffs, and preseason. And uh, my first game on the court was against Nets and Knicks. Oh, boy. Oh. And Knicks fans, you know how you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They were like, they called me all kinds of fun names. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, again, I've been there so long. So it yeah. was fun. It was a great welcome to being the host of the book Gosh, I love that. Um, that's so funny. I, uh, my first hosting uh, class in LA was the same thing. It was like light bulbs. Like I hosted a fake Chicago Bears show. And then the teacher was like, oh, you want to work in sports? And I was like, no, you know, there's no women in sports and they don't get to be funny. And, and she was like, it just feels really natural. You should like give it a shot. And that was that was it. That was like, that changed everything. But isn't it so funny in that moment? I also, I have a secret for everybody out there from my commercial class. I don't know if they told you this as well, but I took a class also like how to, you know, be in commercials, be on camera. And they said, when you're talking to the camera, picture that the camera is someone that you love. It could be a dog, a parent, mm-hmm. someone you're in love with. Um, but it just like changes your eyes and and your face when you're talking. If you think of like seeing that person and then it you, and then they said it also works great in pictures so in my mind i'm like okay i've got tyra telling us to smize and then i've got these people telling us to pretend the camera is someone you love and i was like and now i always tell my friends i'm like oh this is the secret of taking good photos is like imagine the camera is this is this and so um it's so funny that like you you knew in those moments as you were as you were like uh on camera and, and that's what's so fascinating too is like there's not a lot of um there's not a lot of real world applications where you're going to understand and recognize that that's the thing for you. Even if you mm-hmm. like host family trivia night or something, it doesn't feel <laughs> yeah. the same as that moment of performance. We'll get right back to the interview. But first, what's your favorite word? Can um count as a word? I'm trying to, I think my, my 
this is also a dilemma, but it may, and it may be my least favorite word, but it's a word that I use often. I definitely use, um, quite a lot or more than I'd like to. Okay. Uh, however, I would say that I definitely use literally out of context. Um, and literally, okay. Um's an easy one. It means simply a sound denoting hesitation. It arrived around the 1670s. I'm certain there were other, uh, sort of utterances or, uh, 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 but um took hold and, and we're all guilty of it. Ums and likes too many of them, too many of, um, <laughs> okay. Moving on literally, or as Rob Lowe, AKA Chris Traeger on Parks and Rec would say, literally, uh, of course, this is from the word literal late 14th century, taking words in their natural meaning literally arrived in the 1530s quote in a literal sense, according to the exact meaning of the word or words used, but as Ali alluded, oft misused. Per Edom Online, quote, since late 17th century, it's been used in metaphors, hyperbole, etc., to indicate what follows must be taken in the strongest admissible sense. But this is irreconcilable with the word's etymological sense and has led to this much lamented modern use of it. As I pointed out, that's not recent, 1700s. In fact, uh, Fowler in 1924 wrote, we have come to such a pass with this emphasizer that where the truth would require us to insert with a strong expression, not literally, of course, but in a manner of speaking, we do not hesitate to insert the very word we ought to be at pains to repudiate. Such false coin makes honest traffic in words impossible. Literally. It is funny to use it correctly. It is even more fun to use it incorrectly. And we all do. Speaking of great words. You're going to learn today. The word of the week. I told you to remember it. Afilador. Remember I mentioned it when Allie was talking ice cream trucks in Miami? Well, you could thank the Levitard Show for this one because I know this obscure reference because of them. They have talked about this in Miami, roaming the neighborhood, playing tinkly old time music that sounds like an ice cream truck, is the Afilador, a.k.a. the knife sharpener. <laughs> sounds kind of terrifying, right? You walk up in your chancletas, aka your flip-flops, uh, you're hoping for a fat frog or a bomb pop, and the side of the truck is just pictures of knives. So, afilador, from afilar, to sharpen, with the secondary meanings, by the way, of to flirt with or court, or uh, F-U-C-K, uh, interesting secondary uh, meaning. Uh, that would be an even scarier truck, and perhaps sometimes both are offered, so again, be careful. Uh, but afilar plus ador, A-D-O-R, which forms nouns and adjectives from verbs, something like matador. So afilador is the knife sharpener. In a sentence, I heard the tinkling of music approaching, ran out of the house to get a push-up pop and a king cone, only to see the afilador turning the corner, crushing my cone dreams. Now let's get back to the interview. Okay, so you're with the Nets now. What's the, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time now. What's the best part of the gig? Yeah. Um, best part of the gig. I mean, a couple of things. I love our ownership now. I think they do such a great job of continuing to build culture. Um, 
I've been with the net for nine seasons, 10 years. I've been 13 years in the NBA. How, I mean, I mean, wow. I've, I love it. I love the NBA. I've been so been there so long, but I think there are a couple of things. So I love our ownership, but also I'm very grateful because when I got the gig as a host of the Brooklyn Nets, my husband had already with his friends chipped in and bought courtside seats to the Brooklyn Nets. So it was, these were unrelated situations and we didn't know they happened very like simultaneously did you know Literally him yet had you met him yes yes which he loves that people will always ask did we meet because he was sitting courtside and i was on the court and he's like oh my gosh like that i have that much game that i can get <laughs> ali loves attention where i'm like you know i turn around off the court and i'd see him courtside and yeah, yeah. Think, and i'm like yeah call me like, he was like she's, if you know her she's not like that at all so yeah, yeah. oh he loves us no we knew each other we were together already prior to that we've been together for a long time and so it was one of those things where he had went into course I seats with his friends. And so he was at the game while I was working. That was great for me in terms of it is scary to yeah. walk out there and mm -hmm. remember lines and talk to all these people and not mess up and not have all this experience just yet. And even to this day, we have courtside seats that he has just have himself himself. So he can come with his friend, with our friends. And, yeah. like, you know, we get to enjoy the experience together. He's a, definitely a diehard Brooklyn Nets fan now. Um, he's from Trinidad, so he didn't grow up with basketball, but this is his team. We're yeah. all in. We love the Brooklyn Nets. And so I will say is that I get to not only do my job, but I get to do job with my do the job with my family close by. Because my yeah. family visits, my nieces and nephews get to sit there and watch me. I get to bring them on the court. My mom gets to see what I do. You know, and, and sometimes people don't understand exactly what the job involves. So to be able to bring them there and to have a unique experience is I think one of the best the best things about the job. Yeah, I mean, it's always cool if your job is something that people would wanna go see, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's not, that's not the case for every job. Like, oh, I'm an actuary, come see how I, you know, do the, no offense to actuaries <laughs> out there, it's important work. Uh, maybe not as exciting to uh, to watch. Um, so you've, like I mentioned, you, you did some stuff with the ESPYs. I think you might've worked in an all-star weekend. So are there bigger goals in the sports world for you? So, you know, I'm often asked this question, and there was a point in my life where, you know, as a woman in the NBA, they're not many women hosts. When you think of all the hosts, they're usually, you know, they're guys. And then when you see all the color commentators, sideline reporters, most of them have been men for so long. When you see game operations, GMs, head coaches, you look at it and you say, well, it hasn't been diverse when it comes to the, even like, you know, the manager, like the office itself. And then you, it's not even more diverse in, within the scope of men, right, racially. But then you look at it and it's like, well, there's not a lot of women doing these things either. So where do I go? What? And so I started to kind of get curious again, stay curious around my greatness. And it's like, what, what can I do here? And what do I want to do? And so I never have ruled out like, oh, no, I don't want to go in sports. But what I've always done is to make sure that I have um, stay curious around the cultural aspects of people because they're not mutually exclusive. You can't just say, oh, well. These are just athletes and just, this is just a game. And then when you come out a step out of the arena or off the court, then you're human and then there's culture right. and then you can get, it's like they're, they they come together. And so I've always been fascinated by that where I'm able to, I'm creating a show now with the Nets where we're exploring some of that, getting back into the community and things like that. And so cool. I've never ruled it out, but yeah, when the SPs called and said, do you want to co-host this? I was like, oh my God, uh, um, yeah, this is a big deal. When, you know, doing the all-star, I only got to do one all-star game, which was still amazing. Doing the all-star game in chicago it's been it's been incredible being able to do the draft with espn has been incredible and so most times what ends up happening to be completely transparent sarah is that i would take these meetings with networks and it's not until recently that we've been seeing a shift right so i was taking these meetings pre-pandemic and pre pre the turning point of black lives matter racial injustice the civil unrest all of these things that becomes now really important to every company 
And so taking those meetings prior to that, it wasn't a priority to hire a woman, a minority woman, someone who doesn't have as much experience and put them in a seat and say, we're going to, we, you have potential. We're going to put you there. Right. That's easier for men, right? It, it was, it has been, and these are facts. Like, and it's, it's, it has what it, it's been, what it's been. It's like, oh, I know this person. Let's groom them to kind of take into right. this role. And, and you, you, you don't find mentors that are comfortable when you don't see yourself on that platform. And so that was what was really happening is I was running into a few roadblocks and have conversations, they go well, but they never landed anywhere. And so I wasn't going to get down on myself, you know, you get a lot of no's as a dancer, you get a lot mm-hmm. of, you may never, yeah, you may never run when yeah. you're 10. Yeah. You get a lot of those and you're like, you know what, let me just go seek out what I can do. Where can I excel? And I didn't necessarily go to Peloton and say, I'm going to be a fitness instructor. Right. <laughs> I didn't think I ever wanted to be a fitness instructor. And, and I, I don't know, and I'll, I'll piece it together. I don't know if you see a common through line in, the, in my life. And many of us probably share this common through line. I, I can tell you mentioned it and I'll bring it, I'll piece it together. But it was one of those things where I was hosting, taking these meetings, still modeling, still saving my money, like building my life and really working hard. And what ended up happening was someone said, hey, you know what you'd be good at? You'd be good at being a Peloton instructor, come in for an interview. And I'm like, I don't even know. I know Peloton, but I don't think I, anyone wants to hear from me like yeah. on the bike. And and so it was one of those things that that, that was the transition. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily I didn't want to go into sports any further. It was than just something came up. Yeah. And it was more of like there, that was where the interest lies. That's where a conversation that led to that was actualized. There was there was something behind that. Yeah. So tell me about the audition for Peloton. Oh, it's a little different these days. Now we're like a 53 instructors. When I joined, it was 10 instructors or nine instructors. Uh, or maybe even eight, actually. It's only a few instructors when I joined. And I came in for a meeting. At first, I, you know, I was like, no, thank you. I don't think you have the right person. Like, you know, I don't know. Um, and I came in on the strength of one of my good friends, Robin Arzon, who is an instructor yeah. there. She and I have been Adidas Global Ambassadors and became really close friends. And we were both athletes. We run together. So we, we would travel a lot with Adidas. And so you're in Berlin, you're in Nuremberg, like, you know, wherever you are, we would always run in San Francisco. We take a run and we always work out. I obviously love working out. I found hot yoga and running after I kind of like started hosting a little bit and doing less of the dance and, and gigging. And so it was one of the things that we were at an event. She said, you need, you should be a Peloton instructor. What you're doing with Love Squad. I had established my company, Love Squad, where we do women empowerment events. So what you're doing with Love Squad and what you, and, and, and you're an athlete, like you, you race and all these things. That's exactly what we're looking for. And you're a host. And I was like, no, girl, you don't, you don't, y'all don't need me. Like y'all get, this is like, get some, you know, get some real people that are, probably know mm-hmm. what they're doing. And so of course, Robin being Robin, she set up a meeting for me like the next day. And someone mm-hmm. called me, was like, great, we're expecting you in. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I went in for a meeting on the strength of my relationship because I do trust her. And so I went in and found out more of what, what was going on. And, and I came home and talked to Andrew. He was, he was my boyfriend at the time, but we talked to Andrew and I was just like, what do we think of this? And I was like, he's like, why don't you try the audition and see what happens? Like, let's go. I got on that stage there and it was kind of like that moment of the hosting class, right? Yeah. After that first hosting class, you were like, oh, I think I figured it out. Yeah. I got on that stage and there are like eight cameras in the room and there's a tally light and there's music. So as a dancer, I got the beat. Mm-hmm. As a host, I follow that camera anywhere it goes. You tell me yeah. the tally light goes, I'm <laughs> there. And I can talk for hours, clearly. So I get in on there and I fake my first class. Obviously, I'd never been trained. I did a, a course before, but I was never really a fitness instructor. Yeah. And so I was just faking my, I was pretending to be the best Peloton instructor that I could be. <laughs> and so I did it. And it was a 15 minute audition. I finished after the audition and an interview and literally everyone thanked me. It was like, okay, we'll be, we'll reach out to you the next day. They offered me a job. 
Awesome. And so that was five and a half years ago. Again, a little different now. It takes a while to become a Peloton instructor. It is a coveted position. I'm very grateful and privileged that, again, I had the opportunity at the time to literally go in for 50 minutes and say, oh, okay, this yeah. is my new life. That's and so they crazy. trained me for a month, threw me out there in front of the camera, and we never looked back. Um, well, as you mentioned, it's a very coveted position now because Peloton blew up. It was already a thing that a lot of people had, but particularly with COVID and, and people being at home, it, it became even more where now it's, you know, Saturday Night Live sketches and everybody, you know, posts about it and there's memes and everything. And I, I want to know how your everyday life has changed because you were in the spotlight in a number of ways, modeling and, you know, with the Knicks and the Nets, but th it was more regionalized or for the people who happen to be privy to that. Peloton is, is global. It's huge. How, is, how has life changed for you? Well, yes, I think we went from a couple hundred thousand members to now 6.7 million members on our platform globally. We were only servicing the US, now we service the world. We only had one studio. Now we have our UK flagship studios and we are teaching in German and you know in Spanish and it's incredible. And then we only had cycling and then we expanded to, mm -hmm. and, and we only had the bike. We expanded from one piece of hardware to the tread and making sure that our app offered more things. And so it kind of transitioned from cycling to tread, to strength, to yoga, to boot camps um, on both the tread and the bike, uh, to 11 instructors that when we started to now 50, about 55, 54 instructors on our platform. And so, and again, like they're German instructors, they're instructors in the UK, they're instructors in the US, and it's a full team, it's a global team. And so the expansion in itself, while it's actually quite amazing, um, I think in terms of how it affects me is that it just heightens my sense of awareness around my social responsibility. I've always known that I wanted to do um, more. I wanted to reach more people, which is why I started my company, Love Squad, and why I always say the co catalyst for change is conversation and why I fell in love with hosting and entertaining. I think there's something fun and, and engaging around having a good time with you right now, but also learning something and yeah. taking something away that could potentially change or also the way I think or how I live my life and get me closer to who I want to be or where I want to be. And so when it comes to Peloton, now that responsibility is amplified. And I want to, I, I, I'm adamant of when I get on the bike or on the mat that I'm offering that, that there's an entry point, right? Remember that exclusion inclusion that we talked about? We talked about, you know, everything being equitable. I want my training program to be equitable in the sense of wherever you are in your training, whether you are a beginner or novice, or you're someone who's experienced and you're doing races, that you feel comfortable, confident, and safe in my class, that you can trust that I'm going to give you a good workout. And it's, I would say the broccoli is wrapped in cotton candy, right? Yeah, yeah. You're going to get the good stuff while having like a good time. And that's that's what I'm adamant about, and and that's what it is. Do I get noticed on the street a little bit more? Absolutely. Does it happen at odd times and places? Absolutely. Um, I would say some of the oddest times is when I'm washing my hand in the airport after coming out of the bathroom. Mm. You're just like washing your hands, and you're just you know, it, it, you have some. It, it's incredible. Um, I went to the Dua Lipa concert last night, and I will tell you, it was quite fascinating to be there in the concert the lights turn on and everyone that's sitting that's standing on the ground turns around because my seats are there yeah turns around and you know they're playing whitney houston and i play whitney houston all the time yeah yeah turns oh, that's my favorite class ever that's oh, thank you thank that's you my so all-time number one yes i love that um but yeah it's like to know so many people when you're walking down the street it's 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 beautiful it's it's amazing but on the flip side yeah it can be it can be a lot like to be completely transparent on any given day, just like anyone that's listening, 
I too have bad days. I too feel less than positive and don't have this much energy all the time. Well, I do think I have more energy, more natural energy than the average bear because I don't drink coffee and I just am this person. And I know <laughs> now after saying that, you all hate me. <laughs> you hate me more. Yep. Um, yeah, it, it can be a bit, You can't. I can feel like that everyone's watching me at times when yeah. I can't make one mistake or one bad move because... I could get a bat. Someone writes on social something bad about, or she mm-hmm. didn't say hi back. Or, you know, I'm on the phone with my mom and my AirPods and we're having a serious conversation and yeah. I don't say hi or engage. And they don't know that, right? Like, right. obviously our members would be understanding, but it's like that one miscommunication that could potentially, you know, make someone in our community feel bad. And while I know I can't wear it for everyone, I, I do find that, my, again, that my social responsibilities are important to me. Yeah. It, it, I mean, in addition to personally, I feel like uh, Peloton became more than just workouts during COVID. I mean, it was, it was uh, mental health for people. It was inclusion. It was a community. It was a connection point, even if you were in your house. And I wonder if in that moment, as that ramped up, whether that felt like more of an honor to you or a pressure, and obviously it could be both, but at any point, did it feel overwhelming, the amount of attention and how much it meant in the end, how much people needed it? No, it didn't feel... I didn't feel pressure um, during the time our company was and still is, you know, members first. And we do have to, when things get hard, we have to make some hard decisions. And so we were in a position just like many folks where you're not going into work, but you want to continue to support. And they deemed our business an essential business. We were essential workers in a sense. And so what ended up happening was before we could go back into the studio as essential workers uh, because we were a media company, we are, we had a meeting and our team was like, what can we do? And the idea of, can we shoot this from home? Is that an option? Because people are in their houses, they need it, we need it. I mean, un- just like everyone else, I also need it too. Yeah. So it was a two way street. And so they said, yeah, we, they did some testing for about a week and there was a Peloton studio outside my front door delivered, just dropped off. Cause obviously you have to, you know, be safe. There was a Peloton studio in a box, <laughs> a big box. Outside my front door, you open your front door and it's kind of like that kid at Christmas with hot chocolate all over again. We're just like, this is the, this, we're going to, we're going to open this big present and there's going to be something magnificent on the other side of it, like Santa came. And so we put it all together and many of us, you know, there were a few of us that raised our hand and said, I want to do this. I was, I was one of those people. I was like, I'm in like whatever is needed to be done right now to continue to help our community survive and thrive as much as possible. I am all in. So we put it together. My husband was my production manager. He was my producer. He was my tech person. He was everything. Um, he even cut like some of my t-shirts because I always crop my t-shirts. He was also come, sometimes my stylist while doing his full-time job from home. And so we put on a show as best as we could and was able to, you know, they say socially distancing was so important. And, and again, refraining from being in any public space at that time, but I had 25,000 people live in my living room at any given Sunday. And that's exactly what happened. And so it was quite an honor. I look at those yeah. terms as like, that's history. No one in the world at that time could say that they were doing the things that we were doing. Yeah. And I believe it was about five of us, maybe five, maybe five at, like that started out doing that. Five people that decided like, we're going to serve, you know, I think maybe it was around two, 2.5 million members at the time or so. That's crazy. We're going to serve these millions of people from our home and sacrifice our space. We don't have a lot of space in New York. We don't, yeah. you know, we all live in kind of apartments, but like sacrifice our space and know that it's an honor. This is what we can do to be of service. Well, and it's so funny. We all had to learn how to be uh, camera technicians and lighting and wardrobe. So you mentioned all your husband's jobs. We all had to learn how to do that from home, which was wild. You know, I'm curious, your 
your hair, your music, your banter, your style, is that all up to you? Is it slightly curated? How does Peloton decide or, you know, there is such a, a variety of, of people and styles. Is that entirely organic or is there some curation there? I think both parts. I would say in terms of the product and content that we serve up, it's all definitely organic. Everyone gets to show up as themselves. And when you get on, we make our own playlists. We pick our, our, our own outfits. Uh, we make sure, like we roadmap our own class. We do all of our own movements. We do our own speaking, topping, like any, any topics that we want to pursue. We do all of that ourselves. We do work in tandem with our producer, our production team, and any support when it comes to artist series or a specialty ride or just in trying to ideate. But for the most part, when you see us on any of the streaming platform, that's us. That We're, we're serving to you in, in all areas and we're being our true selves. We're showing yeah. up as ourselves. And so when you think of the curated side, Peloton never wants to get to the point where they are... Um, putting instructors in a box in a sense, or kind of managing what you do or who you are. And so in order to never get to that point to say that we, that they allow every instructor to show up on that platform as themselves and be themselves completely and make those decisions um, that best suits them and the company and, and the progression of, of us moving forward is that, that when it comes to the hiring process, like I said, mine was 15 minutes. It was only a couple people, right. but now it's, it, it actually takes months and almost sometimes a year, year and a half. It takes a long time for an instructor to be hired. So, and the reason that is they want to do a lot of interviews. They want to make sure they're finding the right person so that they don't feel like, or, you know, as a member, you don't feel like, oh, there are two Alilas on that platform. Right. Right. Or, oh, there's two of that person or that per these two people are just exactly the same people. Right. It's almost like we want to make sure that everyone can individually take up the space that they take up. And so to do so, it's making sure that we can add in instructors that that represents the diversity um, and also like that are aligned with the missions and pillars of Peloton and in terms of wanting to service the world and make everyone feel good. And of course, right. as healthy as they can. So, yeah, I would say both parts in a sense. OK, Peloton speed round. Uh, the coolest oh. person that you've had in class or has reached out as a fan. The coolest. Oh, my gosh. This is hard. Why is this one so hard? I, I don't know. There are many cool people. Um, I think the coolest thing that I've, and it's not it's nothing against the celebrities and, and artists who will take it. I, you know, we have many people, like we play artists and they take their classes. They yeah, take yeah. our classes to hear their music. Yeah. Um, but I think it's like my elementary school teacher. <laughs> reached out and That's I think awesome. that was really cool because yeah, you think of being a kid and how this, you know, I thought teachers slept under their desk. Like, <laughs> right. I, know, I was, I told you when I told you before the age of nine, I was like out there. Yeah. I really, I was like, these teachers never go home. They're always here. When I get here, they're there. When I leave, they probably just have pillows in their, their drawers. Right. And sleep here. But like, you know, they inspire us so much and teachers are, oh my gosh, modern day heroes because they not only take care and care for children and multiple children over years, but they also teach us. And so yeah. I, I had an elementary school teacher reach out. And that to me was kind of, that was really cool. Yeah, I was like, that's very I made cool. It. I made it. Um, whose class on Peloton do you like to take? And you can only say one, the first one that comes to your mind. I know you probably like taking all of them, but let's say you just need to pick me up. Who are you taking? Okay, wait, I have a question. Yeah. Is it on the bike? Is it on the tread? Or is it? We'll just stick with bike. Okay. Oh gosh. Okay. On the bike. Um, if it's just a pick me up, Right. Who am I going to take? 
You know, you're really getting me here. This is re- <laughs> I'm going to say shout out to all my Peloton instructors. I love you all. You see, I'm backed in a corner. Yeah. So I'm not saying that I wouldn't take your ride. But if I had to just, you said pick me up, right? Yeah. Like if I needed to like, oh, I just need to pick me up. Um, I'm going to go with Leanne. Okay. <laughs> Leanne Hainsby. I'm yeah. going to go with her sparkly glitter. She's going to make me smile. Yep. Uh, she's going to give me my little British pop music yep. and some ABBA. And I, I think that's where I'm going to go. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> that's a good one for sure. Uh, you could do a live class with any band or performer playing their music alongside you while you're teaching. What band or performer is it? Dua Lipa. Ooh, that would be so fun. I saw her last night. She's everything. The walk yeah. got me. It was the walk for me. She hit every <laughs> two step. Every yeah. bodysuit was banging yeah she you don't my so i told my husband I'm like we're gonna go to dua lipa our friends invite us he said who who's that and i was like don't worry it's fine He's you're like, gonna know, know all the songs music? yeah so he was like oh man and i was like maybe you'll know one or two so you know being my andrew being andrew he listened on the way there like you know when i told him that morning like yeah. after work he put on and he listened to her music and so he got kind of got some of this. He's like, okay, I listened to a couple. I think I know a couple. Then we go to the concert. He's like, oh my gosh, I know. I've known all the yeah. songs except one. Except one yeah. song of her concert he didn't know. That's and wild. He's not, you know. So yeah. that in itself is an testament to yeah, how, she's how just bangers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And every every hit is a hit, and I'm here for it. It's so fun. Um, okay, so you show up to class. You've got to teach. You're not feeling it. You're hungover. You're tired. You're in a bad mood. How do you get yourself fired up for it? <laughs> Okay, well, not hungover, but um, I mean, why not? <laughs> um, if I show up and I'm just not, yes, I'm. Yeah, maybe you went mood. to do a leap of the night before. You're tired. Yes, and oh you show God, up I'm... for class. How do you get yourself fired up? Okay, so I went to do a leap of last night, and I showed. I was up till like twelve thirty midnight. That's that's late for me. And I came to class. I uh, came to the instructor room. Matt Wolpers is there. Olivia Motto is there, and I am a little tired, but I'm lit. Like I just, I'm excited to get on this. Like, yeah i'm like oh my gosh i'm lit dual lipa gave me a shout out i'm lit yeah so most times sincerely when i am like not feeling it it's not it's up until the point of pre-hitting the stage and i don't know if you ever feel this or if you've ever experienced this where it's like the gearing up and preparing yes doing my makeup listening to my playlist going over my notes getting dressed you know coming into the studio yeah i'm a little lethargic or like right. i'm dealing with you know anxiety or frustration but sincerely there is something incredible y'all think it's it's cool to be on that leaderboard i think it's cool to be that on that leaderboard because mm-hmm. when i get on the stage and the camera comes on and the leaderboard is open and i see names the game is yeah. over. i mean there's no i don't I'm you can't be lethargic it. yeah it's just and I'm like so happy it yeah. really is kind of like that instant motivation it's inspirational that you're spending time with me you chose me you've prioritized yourself and we're going to do this together and all those things happen in a split second and i i don't know how I really don't know why sometimes, but it just happens. Yeah. I get on, the leaderboard comes on, the la- camera comes on, and I'm like, I love what I do. That's awesome. Wait, let's go back to Dua Lipa gave you a shout out. Oh my God, yes. Did you see how casually I threw that? Yeah, in? you were like, like, let me just say this right now. Like, yeah, yeah. How many times is she going to say Dua Lipa? A lot because I'm vibing right now. <laughs> um, yeah, it was one of those things where, you know how the performers doing their thing? Yeah. And then they like, they point to one person, they're like, you, and you're like, they do the quintessential me you look yeah. around and like yeah, yeah. yes stop looking around you yeah. and i'm like you know i've always like envied those people well i was one of those people you. last night and then she's like i'm gonna dedicate this song to you love and i was like all right i'm here for it amazing and she, like sang to me and it was just i mean amazing it was That's amazing so badass um, this is how it feels like to get a shout out at Peloton. I think that's what members right? say to me. They're like, that's what it feels like. I'm like, well, that's, I got to give more shout outs. 
I, I, I got to get into more live class. I'm currently on hiatus, sadly, because I have a back issue and I'm not allowed to ride. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm missing my classes, especially like after the Super Bowl. Everyone's been raving about all the like Super Bowl halftime themed classes and all the inspiration. And I'm like, ah, I can't be on the bike right now. I got to get back to it. But I, I take too many um, pre-taped. I don't like schedule them mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. live as much. And I got to get on that because um, that's when you get the, that's when you get the shout outs and the and the good vibes. Um, Really quick, you talked about Love Squad, and I assume that that was something that came after Peloton, but you said you founded it before you even were working for Peloton. What inspired that, and like, what was the big goal for that? Yeah, uh, Love Squad was something, yes, that I created prior to even being at the Brooklyn Nets. I think it's simultaneously around the same time, but it was created out of a sheer frustration and lack of resources. Um, at the time of you know dancing for the Knicks in college and then finding the Nets a little bit after college, um, after my senior year, and then kind of like trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do to go into events where, you know, people are networking and getting to know each other at a young age, it costs a lot of money. And I really just couldn't afford to go to every event in terms of here, these tickets are really expensive. And so what I decided to do was to create a space for myself and maybe anyone else that was going through what I was going through. I didn't know exactly, I didn't want to follow a, um, a pursue a vertical career where it's just linear. It's nothing wrong with that. It works for a lot of people, but it just wasn't something that interests me. And I knew that I could be successful, but I know I wanted to do multiple things and I didn't have any anyone to help me along the way. And so I created a website, a Rinky Dink website, called it Love Squad. Love is my real last name. And so I started writing a thing about things that I knew about. How to handle no. I've been many auditions where I got no, thank you, you bye, girl. <laughs> you know, um, you know, how to kind of just, I, I work at night, you know, I told you I work at night, I was doing things in a day, how to not press snooze and just get up. Like, it's really important to make sure you, when you can get sleep, get the right amount of sleep to make sure you hydrate. Like these things that I was, that I knew were making big differences, even though they were small things in my young life. So I started really writing about my experience as a young woman in New York City and trying to navigate her career. It kind of caught fire, Adidas founded, and we started having conversations and they signed me and they, I would write for them. And then I started doing Love Squad events and people would, you know, my first one, I got everything for free and I could only hold 50 people in a, 50 people in a space, uh, open an event, right? And I it was sold out and sold out by meaning these were awesome. free spaces because yeah. I, again, I was changing. I want it to be equitable at a low to no cost. So you can come to events. And so what we do now is like, it's global. We, we are virtual obviously. And now we're moving into back into the real, real event spaces. We've done over 50 events in New York city. And we hold, I moderate conversations with my network of folk that come out, whether it's one-on-one or panel discussion. And again, tickets are a low to no cost. And you come out and we talk about how a career building skills, how to build a career, how to navigate a career, how to make decisions. How are you a working mom? Do you want to get back in the workspace? Like, how do you, you know, how do you change jobs? How do you negotiate and advocate for yourself? And so a lot of those things I had to figure out on my own. My parents didn't necessarily go through those things. And I didn't know a lot of people who did. Yeah. So I've used the platform to create that. And so I started learning how to run a business. I was, I became a host. I don't have a journalist degree. Yeah. Um, I'm not, you know, I didn't pursue journalism in a sense uh, through education. I started a business. I don't have a business degree. I, I became an entrepreneur because I knew that I needed to solve a problem that I was having and that someone else was having. And so That's many so of the cool. things that, I, that I've done. I just try to figure them out. I was never an instructor. I didn't go to school to become an instructor. Uh, they taught, Peloton taught me. Same thing, hosting, Nets taught me. Um, same thing, Love Squad, I taught. I had to figure it out and learn on my own and do some research and I built a, a company. And so a lot of the things that I've, I do now are are not, not necessarily self-taught, but they came later. You know, I yeah. learned later in real time. 
That's so cool. And you did a basics of uh, bossing up TED Talk, and you, I, I really love that idea of, of getting out to people, um, especially at, like you said, low or no cost, and helping navigate those early things. Because so much of it is who you know and networking, and it is very mm -hmm. expensive and difficult if you're working other jobs. Um, all right, before you go, I do have to do the one thing that uh, everybody does and nobody expects. It's the Spanish Inquisition. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Number one, your current careers are all canceled. What do you do instead? But why did we get canceled? I have questions. It's just, Hold it's just no, it's a it fantasy world. Every, yeah, they're all, you can't do anything. Oh, do, do I have to make money in this career? Like, what, tell me, give me, you know me, I it's need a lot either of something you think you could succeed at or something you think oh. you'd be good at, regardless of money. Regardless of money? All my careers are canceled. What do I do? I become a tennis player. Love it. Great. Yeah. Number two, what's the most scared you've ever been? Anytime I'm around water, my biggest fear is the ocean. Interesting. So I really have a Miami hard girl. Time. That's why. I know. Well, that's the reason you see sharks as a little yeah. kid and your dad's, <laughs> my dad would just swim with the sh sharks. It was just a whole thing. And I was like, uh -oh. this is not for me. <laughs> Number three, you can be best in the world at any one thing for one day. What is it? Be the best at any one thing. Okay, well, I made it to the finals of the U.S. Open, and now I'm best the best tennis player yeah, in the world. We're just keeping this thread. And I, I won, love it. I won the U.S. Open. <laughs> love it. Uh, <laughs> number four. What current celebrity from sports, TV, music, music, politics, whatever, would you most want to be your best friend? This is a. It's only one of them. Yep. Well, I'm going to go with Meg Rapinoe because then I also kind of get super, right? Yes. Right. Do I get a, like, yes, a, it's a package a deal. Super one there. Also, that's right. like my answer basically too. Like, oh, so, okay. Let, yeah, like let's me. all just be best friends. Um, <laughs> number five, what's your biggest, most meaningless pet peeve? Biggest, most meaningless pet peeve. This means that what people do, right? Yeah. That bothers me. When people clip their nails oh. in public, why no, would you do this? Never. Like on a plane, mm -mm. the man next to me clipping... I, I consider my husband clipping his nails in public in my bathroom with me. Like just no one else needs to be around of any kind, even your wife. Just do that on no. your own time. Um, number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Oh my God, quite a few times. Um, but I will say the most embarrassed I've, I've hosted a live event and I'll go to introduce the person and this person is really famous, I won't even say. And I say their name wrong in their hometown. No. And the audience booed me. No, that's not surprising at all. That's what we do when people say names wrong. Oh, no. Yep. Very can, embarrassing. Can you I give us a hint? Day. Can you give us a hint who it was? He's a rapper. Oh, no. From from Virginia Beach. Oh, I was and hoping you called him Florida. And <laughs> instead of Florida. Instead of Florida. <laughs> um, yeah, I entered, and it was like, mm. and then he got on the mic and corrected me. It oh, was no. just, it was more, it was like, that's, I'm mortified. Yep, I'm, that, I'm that's a good one. Uh, number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? My Spanish. Interesting. Are you working yeah. on it? I am, little by little. Um, Andrew's a Spanish minor, and so it, it, he does help me, but I really want to. I want to position myself where I'm only speaking Spanish. So two things, Spanish and sign language. Like I, oh, I cool. want to be able to, I think accessibility in my classes are really important. So even yeah. just picking those things up a little bit more are the things I'm focused on right now. That's really cool. Uh, number eight, any musician or band alive or dead can play at your next party. Who is it? Are there, 
This I I really this is alive okay. dead. Why am I so stressed? Anytime, I'm you know anywhere. I'm yeah, I'm yeah. Right it's now. a very difficult question. The pressure's on. It's either Prince or Whitney. Like, where do you go? Like, is there a song together? Like, how can I get a package deal? Like, I'm always trying to get a two for one. Listen, I'll allow you both Prince and Whitney because oh, those yeah, are great answers. Just, yeah, just I'll allow it. I mean, basically, since Prince can play every instrument, you could just act like Prince is Whitney's backing band. Band, the band. The, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, number nine. What would you consider your biggest failure? I feel like I'm experiencing it right now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> the struggling with these questions this, is this the, question. This is the lowest no, point. <laughs> no, no, no. But seriously, like I think I'm experiencing it right now. I think I'm I'm really struggling. I feel a little. I'm struggling with fear. I've never I've never struggled with fear as much as I've struggled with it in this in the last few year in the year because year. of just the the uncertainty, the lack of control, all of that. Well, I think it's because I have to make like I think my life is changing, and I have to make mm. some decisions. Big decisions. And I'm scared of if I make these decisions that I'm not going to be good at it anymore, or I'm going right. to I'm I'm going to make all the wrong decisions. And so I think it's one of those things where it's like a life change or like a shift. Nothing. I'm still saying all my jobs in, in a sense, but it's right. just I have to make yeah. I have to yeah. Do, yeah. It's I'm it's like bit. it's a good problem to have when there's a tremendous amount of opportunity and interest, but it also means that you have opportunities that are big, and you could take a big swing and fail, or you could take the wrong one and be like oh, I should have done this instead. Like that's a lot. Yeah, I totally get that. So the, the fact that I'm not moving is like yeah. a failure to me. Um, final question, number 10, what three individual words would you most hope people would use to describe you? Hardworking, um, fun, and thoughtful. Those are very good. Bonus question, who should I have on this podcast? It could be anyone from any industry. Don't say Dua Lipa, I have no hookup. Uh, who, should I, <laughs> who should I talk to on the pod? Oh, who, anyone from any industry. I think that I would, um, I would want to hear you talk to Malala Yousafzai. And oh, I would, I think like Malala, yeah, I think now that she's like married, I think she's engaged or married now. She's an adult. Like I, I think that that kind of, and her perspective on education and young children. Yeah. I like, I like also her to lot. get her in between like Nobel Peace Prize exceptions and you know, there like you go. <laughs> all of the, you said people. anyone now. Yo, no, 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 it is a great answer. And I would love that. And now we'll just put it out into the universe and make it happen. Um, this was so fun, Allie. Thank you so much for doing this. And thank you for being such a bright spot for so many of us when we need a little pick me up. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. That's what she said. Oh yeah. One more thing. So this is a place for rants or raves. I'll tell you to listen, watch, read something. I'll share a good story. Uh, I have two. A quick story of the perfect dismount after 10 days of debaucherous behavior in Arizona was I got to the airport and realized that I had given the karaoke bar that we went to late at night my ID in exchange for darts. And I forgot to get it back. So I'm in the Arizona airport trying to leave and I have no identification and have to show them a magazine with my address and a bunch of credit cards and go through extra screenings. Very appropriate finish, but not as appropriate as my friend's experience at the airport today. When he texted me, guy in front of me at security forgot he had a loaded handgun in his backpack. My luggage is stuck in the scanning machine until the cops show up to confiscate the gun. If that ain't the punctuation point on an Arizona trip... I don't know what is, other than the store we saw called Guns and Loans, which I guess in Arizona you get them both in the same place. Uh, that is what's on my mind. But also what's on my mind right now um, is how to be a helper 
as so much is going wrong around us, both at home and abroad. And there are many worthy causes. There are so many groups working hard. I hope you have found some, but if you haven't, one of my favorites is Together Rising, founded by Glennon Doyle, friend of the pod. And right now, Together Rising is raising funds for both Ukraine. They've already sent over a million dollars to seven boots-on-the-ground partners for urgent help there, including for BIPOC and LBGTQ plus uh, groups. Uh, and they've also invested over $100,000 to support transgender and LGBTQ plus youth and their families in Texas and across the country as we see these cruel anti-trans laws take hold. So if you're looking to help, you can go to togetherrising.org, maybe see if they're a group you might be interested in supporting. And, you know, just be kind to each other as we all get through this. You can tweet me at Sarah Spain. If you've got guest suggestions, questions, or more, you should always go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Follow it. Rate it five stars, please. Give me a nice review. And thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. <laughs>